Good evening. Welcome to Refuge Online. Today is Wednesday, April 8th, and we are uh, celebrating this week uh, Passion Week. Uh, this is the week in which uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, from the time of his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as we know today uh, being Palm Sunday, uh, from that day, which is Sunday, all the way through to his crucifixion on Friday, and then his resurrection on Sunday, is known as Passion Week, or the Passion of the Christ. And uh, so it's known uh, by that um, by that name, uh, because of the love that God had for us. In fact, I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, which says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and so just that verse alone helps us to catch a glimpse just in that verse of the joy that was set before him, uh, knowing that, that that joy was you and I. You know, the joy that was set before him is the work of reconciliation being completed. Uh, he atoned for our sin, past, present, and future on the cross. And it is said that the nails did not hold him on that cross, but his love for us. Because he could have at any point come down from that cross, and yet he didn't. He hung there for you and I. And so he was compelled by his love for you and I, not only to go to the cross, but everything that he completed, everything that he finished was, was all to reveal the Father. You know, in John chapter 17, we see Jesus' high priestly prayer. And here in John chapter 17 in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. In this eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." And, in, and then in verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. And so we see there, just at the beginning of Jesus' high priestly prayer, how it was that his love for the Father was demonstrated in his obedience to the Father to fulfill his will perfectly. And, and what he had done up to that point was to reveal the Father to them, to the people. And so he did. It says here in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that, um, uh, that, that Jesus is eternal. He is the second person in the Trinity of God. In fact, uh, you know, his work as it was completed in verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so that demonstrated his love for the Father by being obedient and doing perfectly all that the Father had willed him to do. All that the Father had in mind. And that is to fulfill the plan of salvation. 
Now, the title of this evening's message is Compelled by His Love for You. And we're going to do something a little differently. We're going to go uh, through uh, uh, several chapters. In fact, we're going to go Matthew 21 through 26. Not perfectly, uh, and we're not going to cover them in detail. Obviously, we don't have the time to do that. But what I want to do in, in, in covering these chapters and just kind of highlighting the main points of what Jesus, Jesus does throughout this week is that you will see uh, just compelling evidence how it is that um, he was compelled uh, to fulfill this work because of the love that he has for you and I. You know, let's pray and, uh, and let's get into the study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this week that we observe as Passion Week. We thank you for you love us with an everlasting love. You tell us in your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Father... I pray that you would encourage your people this evening, that you would help us to understand just the depth of your compassion, the depth of your grace and mercy and love. And so we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go back to Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday uh, this is the first day of what we have come to know as Passion Week. And the city of Jerusalem was, was just about to, to be busting at the seams with tens of thousands of people coming into Jerusalem uh, it, to observe the Passover. Uh, today, this day is known as Palm Sunday. Uh, originally, of course, it wasn't known as Palm Sunday, but today for us, we look back and we regard it as Palm Sunday. And the reason why it's regarded as Palm Sunday is because of the palm branches and other tree branches and even people's clothing that was laid on the path that Jesus took as he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Just as it said he would do in Zechariah 9.9. Now, looking back at the previous three years, we need to consider these three years uh, he spent them discipling, preparing, and teaching, performing miracle after miracle. And what he was doing through all of this is preparing his disciples for what was coming in just five days. Of course, he was revealing that he was the Son of God. He's the one that had been prophesied about. He was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. He was the Christ. And yet through this, as he brought together 12 men... He selected them. He brought them together and he brought them in and spent three years with them, teaching them, preparing them for what was to come. And that was their own ministry. Jesus was preparing them for his crucifixion, number one, and preparing them for their ministry beyond the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. In fact, after Jesus resurrected from the grave, he appeared to his apostles and many of his disciples, and he taught them over the course of 40 years, 40 years, 40 days. And after those 40 days, he ascended. And we see that in Acts chapter 1. But now the time has arrived, and Jesus knew it. His path to the cross was now as we know, very short, just five days from Palm Sunday, from that day, he will be nailed to the cross to atone for the sin of the world. There was 
a moment as we also look back in the early part of Jesus' ministry where a man by the name of Nicodemus came and asked him how it is that a man comes to know salvation. And Jesus explained to him that one must be born again of the Spirit. And so he explained to him salvation. And he referred to his crucifixion. Jesus was looking forward and, and, he, and so he referenced his crucifixion to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which Nicodemus knew very well, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here was before him, before Nicodemus, the Son of Man, explaining that Nicodemus must believe that he is the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is the Son of Man who came to die for the sin of the world. Well, it amazes me that Jesus, having fully known that the time of his crucifixion had come, that he would give himself so fully to ministry. And I know that he is the Son of God. He's the second person in the Trinity. I, I, I understand that. But the question, him being fully God and fully man, I, I'm sure he was filled with so much emotion and so many thoughts. So the question is, is why? Why didn't Jesus just go spend his last days knowing that these were the last days that he spent on earth? Why didn't he just go spend them alone with his father and his mother, his brothers and sisters, and those that were closest to him? Just spent it with family. Why didn't he just go up on a hill and spend it in prayer with the father, just in communion with him, in fellowship with, with him? Why didn't he do that? And the answer is quite simple. It's because of his love for you and I. His love for you and I compelled him to continue to do the will of the Father completely. As he demonstrated his love for the Father, so he demonstrated that love in serving others. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Hebrews 12.2 says, Who for the joy that was set before him, you and I, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father, by putting the Father's will above everything, and is much the same way in which we ought to demonstrate our love for God, by forsaking all to follow Jesus and do His will with every ounce of energy that we have, knowing that we have the message of reconciliation for a world that desperately needs it. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. So as we go through these texts, again, we're going to go through them quickly, but hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 21 right now, and, and you can kind of just make notes and make references um, to where we are and what I'm, 
I'm, uh, I'm pointing out so that we will see evidence of how Jesus was compelled for his love for you in all that he did in this week up to his crucifixion. His crucifixion we're not going to cover. His betrayal in the garden we're not going to cover, but all the way up to that point. And, and of course, that's the apex of his demonstration uh, of his demonstration of love for you and I, and that is his crucifixion. But we're not going to cover that uh, this evening. So let's begin by going back to Sunday, and that is Palm Sunday. You see, Jesus in chapter 21, in verse 1, as we go through, Jesus had instructed two of his disciples to go into the village, and immediately upon entering the village, he said that they would find a, a colt and a donkey, the mother of the colt, and that they were to bring them to him. And they did just as he had said, and they found the colt and the donkey just as he said that they would. And they were brought to him. Now, Jesus enters Jerusalem mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, according to Zechariah 9.9. So this is prophesied and fulfilled, prophesied by Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9. And it is fulfilled on this specific day. And so this prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus was referred to in this particular uh, situation, this pr- particular uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem as a son of David and was receiving praise and adoration from the multitudes, from all the people. He was referred to as the rescuer, the deliverer, and as savior as they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, according to Matthew 21, 9. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 38, it says says that they were saying, the multitudes were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now they were referencing actually Psalm 118, verse 26, and they knew just by their own declaration, their own confession, that this was being fulfilled at this very moment. The people were thinking that this prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee would deliver them from under Roman rule and ultimately from under Roman oppression, the one that they had been experiencing up to this point. Even the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, knew that this was not good for their own standing before the Romans, saying, and this, they're speaking this to Jesus as all of the people were, were giving him adoration and praise. They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. According to Luke 19, verses 39 and 40. And as we see all of this, as, as he came to the Mount of Olives, Bethany behind him and the Kidron Valley before him and the temple before him, Jerusalem there, and him entering into Jerusalem in this manner, he was revealing, he was declaring exactly who he was. But he was doing it all because he was compelled by his love for you. And so we know after this, Jesus had gone back to Bethany, spent the night there, and then the rest of his work continued the next day and beyond. So these are the things that we see Monday and Tuesday and so on and so forth up to Friday. Number one, we see Jesus' compassion for the Jews, for his own people. 
You see, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, and says that calamity will visit them because you did not know the time of your visitation. Luke 19, 41 through 44. We also see it in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. You know, they may not have known the time of their visitation. That is, as Jesus came to present himself to them. They didn't, they didn't understand it. But I pray that you would. That you would understand that at this very moment, as you're listening to this message, and, and I'm going through these scriptures, that you understand that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day in which Jesus has come to visit you and has a word for you. And I pray that you would keep God's word. In other words, that you would receive it and keep it. In other words, believe the words that are being spoken, for they are truth. We also see that Jesus is zealous for the temple. We see in Matthew chapter 21 how it is that Jesus cleansed the temple, saying, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. It's interesting, interesting because this is God's righteous indignation. He overturned tables. Uh, he even made a whip. And, uh, and so he was, he was angry, but it was, it was a righteous indignation. It was a perfect anger. And so yeah, I, I, I thought about the fellowship of the saints. How it is that even this place has been sanctified. You see, the temple had been sanctified. It had set, been set apart for the worship of God. And it was a place where people of all nations could come and worship the one true living God. But these people were turning it into a, a place of commerce. And, and they were robbing the people, taking advantage of them. And so, you know, for us, uh, as we congregate here in this place, we need to understand that this is a place to where it's for nothing other than to worship God, to be a, a place where people come together to praise Him. It should be a house of prayer for all nations. And we need to understand that Jesus is zealous for the place that is set apart for his worship. And so we ought to also. We also see that Jesus heals his people. Jesus begins to heal the blind or heals the people. Uh, he's healed us from sin, the, the condemnation of sin. But we see that Jesus heals people. Jesus begins to heal the blind and the lame in Matthew chapter 21 verse, verse 14. And then even the children, while he's doing that, this, even the children begin to cry out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. The, the little children are saying this. Well, this of course made the chief priests and the scribes indignant. They were beside themselves and even asked if Jesus was hearing what these children were saying. They were asking him, do you, do you hear what these children are saying? Knowing that they were referring to him as the son of David and crying out to him, to rescue them, uh, to save them, to deliver them. And I'm sure Jesus' response to the religious leaders left them with their mouths wide, wide open, saying, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And that's according to Matthew 21, 16. Going on from there, Jesus teaches on faith. Uh, the story of the fig tree. 
We see in Matthew chapter 21, verse 18, how it is that it says, In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Verse 20, When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So what a strong lesson in exercising our faith. You know, this is exact. This is what was being taught to the disciples in, in this moment and he took advantage of that, and, and he taught them, hey, listen, if you have faith, if you exercise this faith without doubt, oh, the things that you can do, that's what he's telling us today. If you just have this faith without doubting, oh, the things that you can do. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, it says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if, if it's conditional, if you have faith. And without faith, we know, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God. In John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, Jesus desires that as we ask according to God's will, because as we abide in Christ... We will not be inclined nor desire to ask uh, outside of the Father's will, outside of God's will. We won't be inclined to do that. We won't desire to do that. We will desire that which brings glory to the Lord. And Jesus desires that we bear much fruit from the faith that we exercise. And so he wants us to grow in that faith, to exercise that faith, to walk in faith. You know, the Bible says that if we walk in faith, in the, in the spirit, uh, that we will bring glory to the Lord. And so Jesus was teaching them about exercising faith that is void of doubt. And they will need this faith in the coming days as Jesus is crucified and beyond that as they go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is today that we need the same faith we also see how Jesus confounds the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, the religious leaders, they challenged his authority. In Matthew chapter 21, 23 through 27. They challenged him. So in Matthew 21, verse 23, it says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they, will all, hold, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
It's interesting to me that um, Jesus didn't take the time to explain to them anything. He, he didn't feel like he owed them anything. Um, he knew what they were thinking in their hearts, and they were simply not sincere with this question. Uh, they were uh, really looking for ways in which they could dance around it. And so Jesus was very straightforward with them, and, and he told them there, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So he didn't answer their question. So he confounds the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees because at this point, um, they had challenged him. But then he turns things around and he begins to challenge them with a few parables to help them understand that they were rejecting the will of the Father with their unbelief. And ultimately, they were rejecting the Son of God. And warned them against further reject, rejecting the invitation of the father to the wedding feast. And that's what we see as, as we see the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 through 14. Reminded me uh, of the marriage supper of the lamb which we see in Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 10. And one day we will partake of the marriage supper of the lamb. The church will come together and do that. And so, for all of those who reject Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to die for our sins, um, for all those people, they will not partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. They will not be there. So Jesus is warning against this, though. Remember, his love compels him to do this. He is truth. And he's telling us this truth in order to warn us what will come if we reject him as a son of God, the one who came to die on the cross for us. Jesus further responds to their attempts at entangling him in his words, answering questions regarding the payment of taxes, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. Um, they also asked about the resurrection. It's interesting, the Sadducees asked him about the resurrection, which they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so it was almost just sarcasm, you know, but they were trying to entangle him. And, and yet they were asking uh, the Son of God, they were asking God himself. And uh, so, you know, he was just really confounding them. He was baffling them. They also tested Jesus on the great commandment. We see all of this in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 40. And then after this, Jesus turns around and then asks them what they think about the Christ. This is at the very end of chapter 22 of Matthew. And he asked him, whose son is he? And why is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord? If he is the son of David. And so as you would guess, they didn't dare answer him. And from this point on, they didn't dare ask him any more questions. So he confounded them. From this, he went on to the seven woes to the scribes. He pronounces the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus describes in great detail where they have erred. Remember this. Remember that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, um, the word of God is amazing because it is able, as it says in Hebrews 
uh, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so, as the Lord is pronouncing these seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, we need to understand that these were, these were warnings. This is a description of them to the T. They could not deny that this was true of them. He called them over and over hypocrites. And yet, instead of being humble before the Lord, they took great offense and they, their anger built up within them. May we be warned as we look at these verses, as we look at this scripture here, may, be war- may we be warned to not do the same thing, that we wouldn't be filled with pride and take offense and instead humble ourselves before God and allow him to point out any area in our lives in which we have erred ourselves. Jesus goes on from pronouncing the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees uh, to delivering the Olivet Discourse. Before this, Jesus tells of the destruction of the temple that did come about in AD 70 and then proceeds to tell his disciples about the signs of the end of times in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 31. So he explains to them in detail. He gives them enough to where they're able to discern the signs of the end of times, when the end of times would come. And so it is a benefit to us. Jesus' return, you know, the rapture of the church is imminent. And so we ought to look around at what is going on in our world today and know that, that the, res, the, the rapture of the church is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And we need to be ready. In fact, he goes on from there. Jesus is, is teaching and, and telling them to be ready for the return of Christ. And he explains, like a fig tree whose branches become tender and starts to put out its leaves, so it is that we know that summer is near. In the same way, we will be able to discern when Jesus' return is near by the things that are happening around us. He says to be ready because he will come like a thief in the night. He also tells us to be ready, though, not sitting, not doing anything, not not by doing nothing, but by doing the work of a servant, the servant who faithfully stewards what he's been entrusted with by the master to look after. We need to be about our father's business. Jesus teaches the parable of the ten virgins to explain this, the parable of the talents, and then speaks on the final judgment. So all of this is so that we, you and I, will be ready. And then Jesus tells his disciples that after two days, after all of this, he tells his his disciples in just two days, he says that he would be delivered up to be crucified. And then Jesus is anointed in Bethany. Judas is paid 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. And Jesus has the Passover meal with his disciples. And as we consider all the things that Jesus did, I see how Jesus wants his people to know the following things. 
You know, what, how is it that it applies to me? What is it that I ought to um, get out of what has just been brought to my attention? You know, these things that Jesus did throughout this week. Well, the Lord wants us to know that his love is an everlasting love. He wants us to know that he is zealous for his place of worship. Jesus wants us to know that he is healer. Jesus wants us to know that he desires the expression of our faith. Jesus wants us to know his wisdom and to seek him for wisdom. Jesus warns out of love. Jesus knows the beginning from the end and desires that we would know how to discern the times in which we're living in and how to respond to those things. That's very important. How do we respond to the things that we're faced with, the circumstances, the situations? And Jesus desires that his people be ready for his imminent return. And there was so much, that, so much more that Jesus taught his disciples he taught, he taught them to serve others as he bent down to wash their feet. He continues to serve them even after having known that one among them would betray him. He commands them to love one another just as he had loved them so that all would know that they are his disciples. And Jesus says that the path to the Father is exclusive. It's only through the Son, Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said that during this week, leading up to his crucifixion. The Lord promises the Holy Spirit, says he is the true vine. And listen to this. He also says that sorrow will turn into joy. And then he prays that high priestly prayer. In John 17, 17, as he prays to the Father, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know, I pray, and my hope is that you would go back through, and you would just consider, just study through, just go through and meditate on all that the Lord did on this week leading up to his crucifixion. Just this one week. This is the passion of the Christ, you. He was compelled by his love for you. And that is what all of this tells us. Jesus was compelled by his love for you and I. So when life strikes and it gets difficult, and it will, perhaps it is even right now, don't lose heart. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. This is what he told them right before that high priestly prayer. He warned them, he told them, you will face difficulties, you will face tribulation. In, in this world, you will have tribu tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, we are victors in Christ. We are overcomers. We are not victims. We are overcomers and conquerors in Christ. In Christ, we have already conquered sin and we have conquered the grave. Jesus 
considering all that we've gone through, just bullet points all the way through, consider the fact that Jesus remained focused on fulfilling the will of the Father all the way to the cross, even as he was challenged, persecuted, falsely accused, and falsely tried. Jesus was compelled by his love for you. It's this week that we remember and consider what Jesus endured for us. Will you then consider this love that was first demonstrated to us and live with a sense of urgency and expectancy of Christ to the glory of God? I pray that this would be an expression of your faith in response to the love that you have been demonstrated by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus' passion would be fully expressed in his suffering on the cross. And it is for this reason, I believe, we should pay close attention to what Jesus taught and what is recorded because it teaches us how to live in this world with godly wisdom, with that peace of God that surpasses all understanding and to the glory of God until Jesus raptures us up to be with him or it's simply our time to pass from this life into eternity with him in all of his glory. Consider his love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. My question to close is, do you know his love for you personally? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and your Savior? Because he demonstrated his love toward you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And he wants to forgive you of all of your sins. He says that he loves us with an everlasting love. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross, three days later, rose from the grave, and after 40 days of appearing to his apostles and disciples, ascended to the Father and sits today at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I? I pray you do believe and you have come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. I pray that you have been encouraged in this reminder of God's love for you and how it is that the love of God compelled him to complete his plan of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May you be blessed. Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us the way you have in the way you do. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone watching, listening, that they would come to believe. Your word tells us if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. And I pray, Lord, that we would realize that we have erred, for sin separates us from the Father. But Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood has atoned for our sins. He has paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And by acknowledging him as the Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, including mine, As I confess my sins and ask him to be Lord and Savior, 
then I know salvation. And I pray that there are people who are listening who simply cry out to you and ask you for forgiveness and ask you to be Lord and Savior, that they too would know salvation and the hope of heaven. With that, you lift all anxiety. You lift all despondency. For in Christ, there's purpose and there is a plan for our lives and there is a future. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you demonstrated to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Good night.